Mini episode 1416 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1416. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here with two of my favorite FDH Lounge dignitaries, and we have a project that we have been uh, working on a little bit, uh, maybe kind of half teased it out once or twice, but uh, we are ready to come clean with it here in the holiday season. Uh, I have with me here today FDH Lounge Hoops analyst Ben Chu, who conceptualized this idea initially uh, as a podcast series. And we're doing a podcast here, but it's to promote the project because there was so much more work that ended up going into it than we could ever really do in a series of podcasts. Also in this FDH Lounge dignitary, a sportsology proprietor and author, Russ Cohen. He's been through this before. He's the steady veteran of the process. What we have in the end here to commemorate the NBA's 75th anniversary, we knew they'd be doing their own list, but we have come up with our list, and uh, you'll be soon be able to see it in first ebook fashion uh, via Kindle and then in book fashion. The top 75 players in pro basketball history and uh, Rick Morris, Ben Chu, Russ Cohen on the, uh, the, the label here, as, as you'll be seeing it. And uh, again, uh, I want to get these guys on to talk about this. We're going to kind of tease it for you, not give you anything too specific to where uh, you wouldn't want to go buy it or anything. We wouldn't want that, but uh, just enough to get you all interested as I peel back the curtain here. So, Ben, like I said, uh, you came up with the idea in the first place, the seed of the idea. And uh, here we go. We are uh, just about ready for this thing to come out. Uh, finishing touches being put on it as we speak, but uh, ebook in time for the holiday season, my friend. Well, I'm excited for this project, and it's definitely a great, it's great to have Russ and you just helping to conceptualize this grand idea. And it's, it's always interesting to talk about lists and within the league. And just, I'm just excited to just, even with the te- it's just a little tease, Rick. I mean, I'm intrigued to discuss some of these things that we've discussed with the top players in the NBA history. Yes, exactly. The top 75 players in pro basketball history. Uh, it's going to be a great thing, I think, out there for everybody to go check out. And uh, Russ Cohen, very pleased that you are part of the project as well here. And uh, again, your uh, knowledge firsthand, your historical viewing goes back beyond Ben's and my own. And uh, the three perspectives that we kind of bring to this thing here, uh, your, your heft on the uh, the historical part of the historical in particular very much needed well i appreciate it i mean this is a fun project and i didn't know when or if i would work on a um on a 10th book but you know being a part of this it's going to count as my 10th book and so that's that's pretty special to me so i appreciate you guys uh coming up with the idea and then bringing me on board and i do like the life that it's taken on and i've done some books with this before and I do think it's fun, and I do think it'll be fun for the readers. And it's always more than this, too. Like, there's always methodology, there's always some stories that are attached, and all that's fun. 
Absolutely. And uh, just in order to get into the methodology, there is one spine that kind of binds this thing as we go through. And uh, for anyone that's been checking out year to year uh, with our pro uh, basketball guides uh, that we've been doing, uh, promoting them uh, with Sportsology, fittingly enough, the Pro Hoops Draftology series over the years, Every summer we take a look at the top 30 players in the NBA. Uh, it just going, you know, average of one per team and going through. What we did for this book was expand that through the history of basketball, but, but pegging it to the number of teams in basketball at the time. And making a year-by-year -year listing, we have, you know, points that are derived from that. We will have in this book uh, years that players were number one overall in the top five, in the top ten, and outside the top 10, but also on the list. We're going to have that broken down. That is essentially the, the core of it. And this is one of these things, Ben, where I was very, very much delighted because, again, we come to this with three different perspectives on our part. But doing the work, going through, and presenting to you guys and, and, and taking a look at this thing here collectively in terms of what the numbers showed us over the years you know, we, we had a little bit of stuff here and there about should we move this guy up, should we add this guy, should we take this guy off, but it was remarkable to me how much we were legitimately all on the same page at the end of that process here and the way that it opened up our eyes as, as far as the, the history of basketball and, and the roles that these players played over the years. And I'm, I'm convinced, Ben, that if it did that for us in working on this, it'll do it for the readers as well. Right, and I completely agree with that sentiment, Rick. I think it's also one of those things, too, that for the initial burst of, like, the top 25, I think a lot of people, well, there'll be some surprises for sure, but at the same point, I think most people know there's a certain group that's up there. But it was most, I would make the argument, the most interesting part was the back half, essentially, of the list, where you saw some guys who you didn't think would be there but had justifiable numbers and just in general it's just a very interesting sort of process to go through the entire history of these it's in this case the in case pro basketball yes it's incredibly interesting to see what could you know where people stand especially you know like the world was different in 1997 when the nba did their 50 greatest players and now moving to 75 it's just it's incredible to see how much the game has changed. It very much is. And it's one of these things where, and again, I'm glad you mentioned here as far as pro basketball, because uh, you, you have also the predecessor league uh, to the NBA uh, at the very outset in history as the way that the NBA uh, counts that for their 75 years, as well as the ABA. And we did some comparisons uh, of players, ABA and NBA through those years. And uh, Ben, I, I know that that is uh, something that, uh, you know, we really made uh, great pains to go through and uh, to be fair in going through the eras here of this, because that's a thing where the NBA list, I know you and I have talked about this, it does give short shrift, I think, I'll say personally, I think, to, to some of the players in the early days of the league. And it is a thing where you don't want to have it be overly weighted in that direction, but as far as being respectful to the true greats of the game from back then, I, I am happy that our list takes into account players from the entirety of the range of basketball history. Right, and it's always going to be an ever-changing history and evolution just in general, because we, we know the NBA is what it is at this time, but there's 
we have no clue what the league could expand to or be in the, in the near to long-term future. So it's always interesting to look back and to look at different eras and different genres, just how the game has just changed just in the totality of it all. It really is the case. And, you know, Russ, I know that in, in terms of uh, when I mentioned the ABA a second ago here, I know that's something near and dear to your heart uh, with the old school New York Nets. Back in the day, Dr. J uh, being there and your, your perspective on, like I said, uh, some of the things you saw firsthand that Ben and I really didn't get a chance to see. Uh, you know, I, I was not able to take in the ABA uh, in, in any way uh, back in the day here and uh, your, your knowledge of uh, the NBA and what was also uh, from where you were at in New York, the golden age of Knicks basketball as well. I mean, I, the, the few greatest years in the history of that franchise compacted into uh, a handful of years uh, that, that happened to coincide with your formative years watching the game. Yeah, it really did work out that way. It was one of those things where, yeah, I lived on the island. and remember when the Coliseum opened and, and was there for some of those Nets championship games. The last season, a lot of them. And because my dad would drive us there and just leave us there. Tickets were cheap and we sat in the stands and we loved it. And he would come sometimes. And then his big thing is he'd want to go to MSG though and see games. And so we would go to Madison Square Garden and, yeah, we're talking seventies, late seventies. And so there was, was a lot to see. And what's interesting is when you do lists like this, you know, as an example, I remember some of these guys being drafted. Uh, some of the older guys, I remember seeing footage on. Some of them, I remember my dad talking about him watching him play when he was a kid. So me being older and just having an older base family-wise and maybe even city-wise um, with New York because there were just so many players that would always get talked about with the Knicks when it was a smaller league that, you know, I did feel like it helped me uh, in a book like this. So, and, and ABA is one of those things where it's very easy to kind of look at that league and say, yeah, it wasn't the NBA. I don't know how much weight you should really put on this and really how good was it. And, you know, so just because you mentioned Dr. J as an example, you know, as much as 76 or fans loved Dr. J, that version of Dr. J, that wasn't like the Michael Jordan-esque version, the way Michael Jordan learned how to do some of the things he does that Dr. J was in the ABA. By the time he came to the NBA, he was a more complete player. You know, he finally had a jump shot. He never had a jump shot. Uh, it took him until like his last couple of years in the ABA to have a jump shot because he didn't need it. Uh, it's kind of like Ben Simmons, except Ben Simmons doesn't actually shoot it. Um, <laughs> but it's one of those things where you look at it and you say, okay, now I kind of get it. So, you know, he, he was older, he changed his game. And he still was an NBA superstar. But if they had him at the very beginning, when he came out of what was he, Boston College, I think, or oh, Boston University, I think. I always get Boston College, Boston University mixed up. But Me he's too. Not one of them. And when, if you had that guy in the NBA, it would have been unbelievable. So it, it really is a difference. And, and there were just some really, some great players. Like there were other leagues in other sports like the WHA and hockey, and the ABA was better than that. Like, it was really the closest thing to the NBA, and in a way, as a kid, I found it more interesting at times than the uh, NBA because it had three-pointers. It had the red, white, and blue basketball, which is what I had in my yard. I had a court. I used the red, white, and blue all the time. So there were some things that, I, that really, you know, that the younger fans really went for. 
And so, yeah, and because the NBA was more brutal, guys were getting elbowed under the boards. You know, you have guys running and punching guys like Herbert Washington, punching Rudy Tomjanovich, those kinds of things, different leagues. Yeah, and I mean, that's a very good point. And uh, also, uh, again, so it's the NBA, the ABA, and then, of course, the BAA, which I had alluded to a little bit ago here, which was the predecessor of the NBA. The NBA claims that as part of their history. So that's included as well, albeit uh, in that brief BAA stretch. Uh, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler alert to say that the list is not bulging with players who are around in the first year of the NBA, but uh, again... Oh, and you know what? I yeah. had to look it up. It's UMass. See, I knew oh, UMass. That's, that's a good point. Dr. James yeah. UMass. That's right. I was thinking in my head. I'm like, I don't think... Yeah, all the, all the, all the Ross, they're going to revoke your press credentials for the bean pot for the next couple of years for making they this might. mistake. <laughs> but, uh, sure. you know, it's, uh, it's one of those things, though, where... And it's interesting in terms of Dr. J, because let's just use him as a microcosm here for our examination, because as we're going through and we're looking at the totality of everybody's career, as you said, his game was further developed uh, in the NBA as far as having a jump shot, but by the same token, the knees were starting to go progressively more so over the years. You know, the athleticism by the end of his career really wasn't there. So, you know, it's, it's a matter of how these players end up uh, you know, the truly great players uh, end up uh, making up for that, compensating for, you know, in some ways. I mean, you know, Michael Jordan became more dependent on his jumper as he went through through the course of his career. Moses Malone was, you know, the yep. Kevin Barnett of his era coming out of high school yep. and going into the ABA. Great point. Great point. And, uh, yeah. do that in the NBA. Exactly. And uh, what, what I'm proud of in our analysis here as we go through is, is trying to take a, a distinct look at the circumstances of all of the 75 players in here and uh, some of the things that really kind of make them stand out and the three perspectives of us all kind of blending together uh, as is the case here and having our own unique thoughts on these players uh, is, is one of the things that really delights me in going through this and, and in looking at this uh, ben, I know that uh, you know as far as the different eras go, that this is something that you and I have talked about, and, and this had to be taken into account somewhat in terms of the, the times when there were somewhat kind of down eras in the NBA, uh, of where uh, you know certainly the ABA was kind of picking them clean the last couple of years before the merger. The ABA kind of had all the buzz. It was a down period for the NBA then. Uh, you look at it, you flash forward ahead about 20 years or so the mid to late 90s, and I think you and I saw as we were doing the research here, you could stretch that even into the early 2000s of where overexpansion, it kind of took the league's talent pool a little while to kind of catch up uh, to that here. So times of greater strength for the league, like we saw in the 80s and some other periods, times where it was kind of weaker and the talent pool was kind of down, it started to kind of come back a little bit, you know, into the 2000s as the class of 2003 paved the way for some of the other draft classes here. There were some very distinct factors we had to take into account, Ben, as far as measuring the quality of competition that all these guys went up against. Right, and I also think it's the nature of typical draft classes that are every yeah. 10 years there's going to be two or three really good ones, then a couple that are average, and then one or two that are going to be really bad. And just in general, the thing that's just, in my opinion, that just makes this sort of a list even more interesting is, is that you're essentially weighing players from different eras against each other. And 
I mean, it's the it's the constant joking that uh, young, younger generational kids make on Instagram and TikTok all the time about all these dudes playing in the 80s and 90s could not have existed today's NBA against LeBron and Trey Young. And I have a feeling, you know, there's a lot of, there's that sort of list historically that we always see players through a lens based on the era. And it makes it interesting when you're trying to compare to different eras. So, I mean, I've had friends who are analysts themselves. It's like, it's, it's impossible to compare sometimes because each sort of decade is run by sort of the successful teams like the Lakers, the Celtics, the Spurs. And it just feels like over time, if you just kind of look at these eras, you have to take into account the style of play that was going on during these years. And you also have to take into account, too, if a team won a title during a certain player's run, was it because that they were playing a down year and that's why they were able to win? Or was it because they were actually going up against high-level competition? So I think that's ultimately... What we always, just as sports fans, love to discuss in terms of just trying to compare different eras because it's one of the few things in life you can never truly compare because it's all different planes of existence in different decades at the end of the day. It is. true. I'll I'll let it just bend. Um, It's hard with eras for sure. And like I said, because one era is physical, like now it's not as physical. But I'll give you one guy that was hero-proof, and that's Kareem. To me... To this day, he's the only guy that's ever had an unstoppable shot in the NBA. Yeah. Kareem did the sky book. It didn't matter. It wouldn't matter if it's Shaq. It wouldn't matter if it's LeBron. It wouldn't matter. You would not be able to. There was a couple guys, like Marvin Webster may have blocked it once, you know, occasionally. But for the most part, he was unstoppable. And the fact that you wouldn't be able to lean on him, he would have even more points in this era. Well, as far as being unstoppable goes, I'm going to give you a chance to ding me twice. Once for homerism, once for recency bias. As I say, Evan Mobley says hi. <laughs> but, uh, you know. Are we really going to make an Evan Mobley comment on the top 75 of all time already? I hope not. <laughs> I can't help getting carried away already, boys. But, uh, you know, yeah, it's it's exciting to look at them from the different eras. And I, and I want to get some thoughts on both of you guys here on the whole thing of, and again, factors that we were looking at and having to consider. Some of the more interesting ones to me were the sort of anomalies by era, whether it be good or bad. On, on the good side, you know, it would be somebody like Elgin Baylor, who it would have been interesting as a, as a sort of pioneer of above-the-rim play. It would have been interesting to see him perhaps more so in the modern era. Pistol Pete, everybody knows that one. You want to see him in the era of the three-point shot, and in, particularly oh, today, yeah. the pace and space game of today. I mean, he'd be averaging 40-plus maybe. you know. But then on the other side, the flip side, somebody like Bill Russell, where physique-wise, he's not going to be able to come into today's game and dominate the way that he did then. Now, it, was he a smart enough player that he might be able to adapt his skills to a later era or today's game, whatever you want to call it? Very possibly. But Bill Russell, you cannot project his game holding up in the modern era. So on the positive and the negative side of the ledger here, one of the more interesting things to me, I'll start with you, Ben, is these players who were a little bit sort of out of the time that they were in and, and where it was easier to compare them perhaps to players in another era. Right, and I, I think there are a bunch of guys that you could make arguments for and cases for that if they were in a different era, they would have been at least more successful. I mean, well, I'll just make a interesting just narrative to just right off the bat because obviously we all know Stephen Curry is on this list. Sure. 
what Steph has been that same sort of player in the early not late '80s, early '90s. It's very possible he could have been, but the three-point shot was not really a big fixture at that timeline because teams weren't shooting it as much. Not until like the mid '90s of the Orlando Magic, right? That there were teams taking 10, 15, 23 pointers in a game. Now, if you don't shot. take at least thirty-five attempts, it's completely bonkers to most people so yeah that's true i think just with all these sort of errors that we have to pay attention to when we do put forward a list like this is you have to sometimes even just not necessarily guess but you have to estimate like because as rick knows too there are certain stats in the 60s and 70s that are not fully fulfilled because they didn't track blocks they didn't track steals as well as they do in this day and age so it's interesting to see to see where we kind of have to fill in the gaps that for certain players during certain different eras. Very much so. And I want to get your thoughts on this too, uh, Russ. As, as a person out of the three of us who's seen the most different kind of eras of basketball, this is something I'm sure that has occurred to you countless different times over a period of time. Oh, imagine this guy in this era or this guy in this era. Like We're, we're having to keep from extrapolating here and, and take them in the era that they were in, and that's how they were evaluated for the purposes of the list but in terms of imagining what could have been for a lot of these guys in the different eras, that is something we get into exploring in some of the commentary, and that's what makes it kind of fun. Yeah, I mean, like Ben said, Maravich's shot was Maravich's shot. He did drive to the hoop, too, don't get me wrong, but but with that shot that he had, he would have been shooting a lot of threes because there was a game that, um, that he, uh, I'm pretty sure it was against the Knicks, and that's why I was watching it, and I want to say he was with New Orleans, where he set his own personal record and he was shooting from everywhere and he was shooting to the point of exhaustion because New Orleans wasn't very good. Right. But he was just shooting, shooting, shooting. And so, you know, he would still do that. It wouldn't have mattered if there's a three-point line or not. Um, someone like Rick Barry would have hit a crap load yeah. of three-pointers. Like, that would have been easy. He probably... He, and in a way, he would have averaged more points because he could have just held up and went for a three instead of having to get to the line where he was the best foul shooter in the game for a while and, and get points that way. Uh, you know, there were there were some other big guys that had there been a three, like you basically, like Joel Embiid shoots a lot of threes, probably too, you know, too many. We, we get that. Uh, Bob Lanier could have shot threes. Mm-hmm. You because know, he was the one weird center in the his in, in that era of amazing centers that wasn't as physical as the other guys and wasn't really necessarily predicated on on the inside game. So he's a guy that I would look at and say, yeah, you know, he could have hit more, but he didn't have a chance. It just wasn't the way uh, it was going to go. Adrian Dantley's another one. Adrian Dantley could score from anywhere. Yeah. So and he and he had a great outside shot, and I remember watching him. Pretty sure he was at Notre Dame, and you know he would just light it up, and he lit it up in the NBA too. And so, yeah, a guy like him, he could have he could have done that. It wouldn't matter the era, and you know. And then there's other guys like a guy like Jerry Lucas, who you know his claim to fame was he actually memorized the phone book one year, um, and I think he did it. I'm not sure if he did it when he was on the Knicks, but it was a huge story because you know back then Guinness World World Book of Records, all those things were with fun things, but he was an inside player. Right. So I don't know what kind of factor he would be in the era where the inside players now are like 250 pounds. And, you know, he wasn't, he was generally a 
a taller, thinner guy. So, and he used to, you know, you look at his nose, he had his nose broken a bunch of times. Sure. You know, like David Busher, too, you know, always was under the boards getting his nose broken. You know, those guys were great in that era. They wouldn't have been as good or effective in this era. They just couldn't be. Well, and in terms of, and you mentioned Bob Lanier from the 70s, in terms of somebody, I think of another Bob, an undersized center from that point in time there. Uh, I, I wonder if uh, Bob McAdoo could have been, you know, possibly adapting his game oh, to yeah. step out and take more uh, threes as well. So, yeah, I mean. Yeah, McAdoo you, had an amazing outside shot. Yeah. Like, especially back then, they would always talk about him. He really wasn't physical. Although, I have to tell you, um, when there are injuries, he still could play the center position. Right. But he really wasn't a center. Right. Not a true center in any stretch of the uh, imagination. You're right about that. And, we did get to see George Gervin in the 80s, so we know what he can oh, do yeah. out there as well. But, yeah, I mean, it was it was a point in time where, and, again, one of my favorite players of all time, Mark Price, you know, that's somebody who definitely you, you look at uh, what, if, if he had been encouraged to shoot more threes. But that's just the way the game was back then. And, and somebody who was a big cult hero for my Cavs teams of the youth, how ironic this would become over the years, Del Curry, a uh, big cult favorite. Uh, loved watching him at the Coliseum back in the day. I did not know what the future would hold, let me assure you. But, uh, you know, there's there's all kinds of great different things when you look at the different eras and uh, how the players kind of blend in and so many comparisons that we tried to make when at the end of the day, and uh, some of these things inherently are going to be apples to oranges uh, because of the different eras, the different uh, levels of competition, the different rules at the time, the different styles of play. But uh, be that as it may, uh, you, you power through on something like this. You do the best you can with the tools that you have. And uh, you'll get to see some of the tools in the book here because the uh, the year-by-year -year, uh, rankings that we did, uh, we do have those in there. And uh, on our top 75 list, uh, like I said, we have it broken out. Number one overall, uh, the years that each of the players were that, the ones that made it to number one overall. Uh, again, additional years in the top five, in the top ten, and other years on the list outside of the top ten, uh, as well as uh, some other biographical information about them. Uh, MVPs won, uh, championships won, all-star game appearances, and then career points, rebounds, assists, blocks, and steals. With the note that Ben said that steals and blocks, uh, that's an incomplete part of basketball history because it wasn't tracked until at least the early 70s. And uh, right. so in, in some cases, and it is noted for these players, we have partial career averages for them, and that is noted where it's incomplete. So, yeah, like have, as an example, Bob Cousy mm -hmm. you know, had a bunch of steals. Oh, yeah. Know. Yeah, and there was, there was somebody else, I'm trying to remember, this was in the course of doing research uh, for this, I think it might have been Artis Gilmore. I think he had a whole bunch of blocks at a time when they oh, weren't yeah. being categorized. Side, yeah. Yes, yes. So, you know, his his historical record is incomplete because of what was being tracked then, but you do the best you can on kind of compensating for that from a historical perspective, uh, which we uh, tried to do in going through here. And again, uh, just, you know, such a joy going through this here. And uh, it, it, it was a process that uh, has gone on uh, the better part of the year 2021 and going through and thinking about this. And, uh, you know, eventually as the list was kind of coming together, having some internal discussions about who should be moved where and what the thoughts should be on this. Uh, I, I want to circle around to you guys for, uh, for any thoughts that uh, we didn't cover yet uh, on this that you have about this. I'll start with you, Ben. 
I, I think the one of the biggest thoughts just in general that I have where there were certain guys that you initially would see on the list and you would literally question them because you were saying, like, there's no way he's on the, he's a top 75 player all the time. But then you, because of just the eye test or because of how you've seen someone play the game, but then you look back at the statistics and just the raw data numbers, that there are some surprises that people will see on this list that I think will be nothing shocking, but they'll be like, oh, that guy was really as, as good as we all thought he was going to be. And just in general, too, is that regardless of if someone makes the list or doesn't make the list, it doesn't necessarily mean it's indicative of their overall playing career. It's just when you have to shake down into the top 75 greatest of anything stuff, excuse me, especially players that probably would make the list is, are just going to get cut out just by you know, very slim, minor margins. Yes, and I, I will say, too, just as a general kind of overview on this, I'm not going to get into any specifics on it, but what the list tended to do, because, like I said, the spine of the research was the year-by-year -year rankings and how we were able to derive a point system off of that is being, let's, let's say, presently now in the 30-team era, when we would be ranking the top 30 players for a given season, of essentially if you were doing a draft, who you would be building your team around. So there are some players on that people might expect to see on this list, but if they were never anything better than, at best, the third best player on a good team or the fourth best player on a good team, you might be a little bit disappointed in where they're going to come on the list here because this tended to be based around players who were the best player on their team, maybe the second best player. There's a handful of cases of players who were the third best player on their team, but it was basically top-heavy in that sense here, and it was not something that was as rewarding, shall we say, to role players, and all some of the great role players of all time, they didn't fare as well as some might expect. Wait, so Rick, are you trying to tell Scottie Pippen fans that we're not going to overrate him here, and <laughs> he's going to have to stand on his own? Well, I will. I will say this: that uh, I'm, I'm, I am going to get into a little bit of my blurb on him, which is that uh, when I started to discuss him in there, that he was the first person on the list as you're going down it that people think of as being a second banana. But there were players above him on the list that weren't that, that were second bananas, but we don't think of them that way. Like at, at a certain point in time. Uh, Kareem was the second best player on the Lakers to Magic. That didn't take uh, you know uh, too long for that to be the case. Maybe a year, two years, three years. Would we think of Kareem as being a second banana just because Magic was more instrumental? I don't think so. But Scotty, well, because he won a championship before Magic too, right? He was older, and that's true, and that's true, and, it, and and but that's why spoiler alert: Kareem's higher on the list than than Scotty because he had the chance to be the best player on a championship team. There's there's any number of players that actually were second bananas uh, on their teams uh, because they gave way to a better player, but we don't think of them in that way. So it's interesting in terms of Pippen. I'm not so much thinking of Scottie Pippen as I am somebody that I'm not going to get into so, to leave some intrigue here, but uh, somebody else from the Bulls dynasty here as well uh, that uh, some might expect to be on the list uh, that was not on the list. Uh, and his name, by the way, is not Michael Jordan, but, uh, you know, yeah, we will. It's fair to say that. Yes, yes, it's fair to say that. Uh, and, and I will say uh, we do have a little bit of a section here as well uh, about 
There's a little bit of a debate about who is the best player of all time, and we did kind of get into that a little bit and kind of making the case for the uh, top of the list kind of back and forth. So you would expect to see something like that in a book like this. You do have something like that uh, as well. Uh, circling to you, uh, Russ, uh, any any thoughts on this uh, here with you that we didn't get to? Yeah, just um, when we do talk about eras too, there are things that part of their uh, moves that certain players could do in their era that we wouldn't be able to do now. So as an example, uh, the big O, Oscar Robertson, uh, he had that elbow, and he kept, that's how he got his space. You can't do that now. Right. So, like, he would have been able to – he would have had to have come up with something else, and he would have. He was a great athlete. But that was, like, his signature thing. Like, he couldn't – he wouldn't be able to do that now. And so, you know, that's something where, you know, that would really affect – some of these players, but even someone like, you know, George Mikan, um, who was voted the greatest basketball player in the first half century, but back then they called him a basketballer. That's what AP called him. Mm-hmm. I, by the time I was a kid, they weren't even using that phrase. So it just shows you how much the game had changed because, you know, what the hell is that phrase? None of you have ever heard that. I'm sure I, I never heard it used in a game. Well, I, I hadn't. I hadn't, but then by the time you get to the new millennium, everything comes full circle, because now they're just ballers. <laughs> so right. everything, the terminology kind of changes over a period of time, and as you go through, it's different styles and uh, all kinds of really different uh, elements that come into play with something like this. And uh, essentially the nature of a project like this is that it, it's going to be part of that whole part of hopefully the best part of debate culture in America, because let's be honest, it's really gotten dumbed down on TV, uh, whether it be uh, you know, sports uh, first comes to mind, but uh, let's not leave out politics and any of the other shows where people are jawing back and forth at each other. It's generally yeah. lowest you know, common denominator. Else, something else did, just hit me. So the one thing that statistics help you with is sort of takes out a little bit of bias, like, hey, uh, you know, how many Boston Celtics and Lakers do you have on the list? And so, you know, what I do want to say is somebody who maybe didn't watch the Sacramento Kings and maybe, you know, there's a Kings guy in the list, you know, you're going to have to go back and watch that guy now if you were in a different part of the country and you didn't see any of, of, of his games. So yep. there is going to be a bit of that. And there are some guys that may be considered sleepers in that way because you just didn't watch a lot of them based on where you might have been in the country. Well, and that's it. And I would be very flattered if this project led to people going back and looking at and watching more uh, film on some of these old guys. Again, uh, you know, YouTube uh, is, is the greatest sort of public access thing probably in the history of our lifetimes. I mean, you want to watch anything on any of these guys, uh, it's not too hard to do. And uh, I would be very, very flattered if that was a side effect of this thing here. And again, the larger NBA 75th anniversary is probably leading to some of that as well, uh, with folks going back and revisiting some of the greats of the game and them being yeah, talked I mean, about. Look, I can picture, and Ben will know this, there'll be blogs written not necessarily from this book, but just from the idea of the top 75 that, you know, somebody 20 years old is going to write it and, you know, try and come up with why, you know, the guy that's uh, like eighth on your list should be number one overall. Like there, it's sure. all over the place. Absolutely. And uh, again, uh, any publicity is good publicity. So if anybody wants to pick apart <laughs> the book here, you know, let them, let them go ahead. And I, I think it's going to engender a uh, debate. But uh, like I said, the thing that I'm really, really proud of, Ben, is that in going through on this, again, that, that we all kind of 
with, with some exceptions, and we had to move some guys around here and there, but after the initial composition of the list, the amount of internal dickering between the three of us was a tiny fraction of what I would have expected because we have the disparate perspectives of how we've watched basketball and experienced it over a period of time, our own thoughts on this and everything like that. But that's what gives me the confidence, uh, Ben, is that uh, I, I think uh, the readers are going to, to be able to have confidence in what they're reading here. So they may not agree with everything here, but uh, the one thing I think everybody is going to have to uh, admit is that everything is well-reasoned in this thing here. And on a creative and on a putting-the-work-in level, I'm very, very proud of what we accomplished here. Right, and I think just in general, all three of us have done a great job in just sort of looking at this list and making these small, tiny changes and machinations because every list is never going to be perfect and things no. are always going to be ever-changing within the NBA. And so one of Russ's points is that it's going to, any book like this or any sort of ranking system always sparks debate, but ultimately at the end of the day, what I always think is the most interesting part is that you can always, everyone has a different viewpoint of how they view sports, movies, television. So there's always going to be someone who will provide a different viewpoint, even if it happens to be a viewpoint you don't agree with at the end of the day. That's right. That's yeah. right. And one thing to add to that, um, Rick, is that people are going to look at the list and the rankings, and I hope they realize that, you know, we all grew up as fans, and there are players that we hate that are <laughs> in this list. Yeah. And I didn't hold it against them, and I know one player in particular that Rick hates that's pretty hot <laughs> in this list. I don't know Ben's likes or dislikes, uh, but I'm sure there's a few players he hated that are in this list, and I didn't hold it against them because I watched them play, and they killed my team, but I, you know, in the end, we showed them the numerical respect. Exactly. And uh, that's what it comes down to. And there were things, and, and I would make some jokes about this with you guys here as we're going in. And as we locked in, uh, one player, I'll, I'll say, in the top 25 and one player in the top 75 in particular. So in those two instances, I said, I feel like I'm burning a piece of my soul by doing this. But, you know, <laughs> you, you are not a historian worth his salt if you're going to do that, if you're going to take something like that and hold it against somebody. Quite frankly, I mean, there's there's a couple players in the top 25 I'm not super fond of because uh, they did some things that came at the expense of my teams over a period of time. Uh, spoiler alert again, Michael Jordan is on the list. And, uh, Again, uh, you know, I, I still think back bitterly on the 92 Eastern Conference he Finals. Count. He did it to everybody's team. I know. Fans, so. I know. I he mean, if, that's a good point, though. If you were a fan in that era, he did it to... But, I mean, I will say, though, I mean, it, not everything in equal measure. If you were a Denver Nuggets fan, I don't think you suffered as much as if you were a Cleveland Cavaliers fan. So, you know, some things more than others. If you were a Dallas Mavericks fan, I don't know that you have any particular... Yeah, but I'll, 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 see, I'll, I'll argue, though. I mean, I know there are always teams that never win championships, and there are some that maybe only have won. But like you said, I mean, the Knicks haven't won a championship since I was 10 years old. True. 1973 is a long time ago. It, it is a long time, and uh, you know. Again, it's uh, it, it, when you when you see these things happen, and when you see history get made, as we've been able to see over a period of time, all three of us in different ways, and take it in and experience that. You with that drought, I, I had a drought that was my entire lifetime with the Cleveland Cavaliers until 2016, yeah. and I got to see that come to an end, and that was a blessed, joyous kind of a thing. And uh, Ben. 
the the Seattle SuperSonics, uh, regrettably taking that title uh, years before you came on the scene, so you didn't get to experience that, but you did get to experience them being snatched for OKC. So you know, it's it's. I knew that would somehow get into this podcast. I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> well, I saw this. I saw the Seattle. I saw Seattle win it, uh, and I also was in Seattle the year before they left, and I thought it was great. I we, I was there via Microsoft. They invited us, and I was doing something for my website, and we went to a game. We were there for shoot-around. I liked the whole vibe of, of everything, the building, everything, and the next year it was gone. That was terrible. Yeah, and that's the thing. And so you, you have players that uh, you know should have been in Seattle over the years subsequently and weren't, and that's – I mean, there's a lot of woulda, coulda, shouldas on this list. I mean, you, you've got players who – uh, are not on this list uh, because uh, either their careers got cut short due to an injury or worse, in some cases, died. There were a handful of players that had they lived. I mean, I, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler, again, to say that Reggie Lewis and Drazen Petrovic are not on the list. But uh, well, Drazen had... Petrovic is, is a real good one because I, I feel like he was, he was on, on, that, on that plane. Uh, Lewis was real good, too. I just happened to see more of Petrovic. That, uh, yeah, I mean, that's an interesting point. And again, uh, you know, Ben, you as a real child of the 90s here, uh, I know those are some names that really resonate with you and, and the what might have been mm-hmm. with them. They don't make the list, but uh, in another universe, who knows, right? Right. And, and the thing, too, that we all tend to forget, there are a lot of players that just also had long standing injuries that had their careers cut short. Guys like, you know, I mean, some of these names are really newer, but guys like Sean Livingston at the end, like, like draws into it's like, you didn't really get to see their full potential, and you'll always get to. It's always going to be one of those wondering, wondering discussions about some of these guys who are. It's sort of the flip side of the argument of guys who could have played better in a league, and then some players just didn't have enough. And there are there the league has been littered with guys who are still what us to this day. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I would go one one better than that. Um, that's where the eras really came in because, you know, there was one player, uh, I went back and forth with Rick two or three times. There were a couple players that had like four or five really great peak years that, you know, unless you're really studying the era, you don't realize it. Yeah, that's true. And, and I know in the case of one of the players you and I went back and forth on, it was a thing where I'm going to say in particular, I mean, I, I think, the biggest mud pit out of any of this stuff, leaving aside maybe the early days of the NBA when the talent pool was kind of down before it was really uh, integrated to any kind of a degree and you had the wider talent pool. But the biggest mud pit for trying to figure stuff out was the 70s because first you had the two leagues being separate and each of them somewhat kind of watered down. I think the ABA was more watered down the early part of the decade and then sort of the NBA prior to the merger uh, but again, neither league was at full strength because of you know the, the power that the other league had, and then fitting everybody into one uh, you know heading after the merger seventy six, seventy seven, seventy eight, seventy nine. Those years were just kind of a blur as far as all the player movement and new teams and something you and I had talked about off air, Russ. As far as a while back, we talked about this the seventy seven. Uh, 76ers that, uh, you know, you, you add uh, McGinnis and Dr. J to that team, and they're an instant powerhouse. They go to the finals. Yeah. It was a big upset losing to Portland there. But those years, trying to measure out the different players and who against who, 
that to me, I'm just going to say from my standpoint, that was the hardest era after the early years of the league to really try and get my arms around. Yeah, just to give an example, like McGinnis would be like on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Like he was a, a fairly dominant player for four or five years and he had this odd one-handed jump shot, which nobody would dare do nowadays because most guys would get it swatted away. But you know, he was like a tough guy and he did it and it worked. So yeah. Right. It was, you know, it, it was really a unique kind of a thing and uh, so many different idiosyncrasies about these players and uh, I really feel like we did our best, I think, to capture uh, each of these guys here, what made their individual story so special and why they landed where we thought they landed in their place in, in basketball history. And uh, again, I can't thank you two guys enough. I, I can't think of any two guys better to work on with a project like this. I'll start with you, Ben. Uh, you would initially conceptualize the podcast series, again, as I indicated earlier, and then we realized there was enough work in this thing actually for a book, and, and here we're using the podcast thing to kind of promote it, but, uh, you know, uh, you had the idea, and uh, again, you're somebody that was uh, a basketball historian, uh, you know, before this project ever was, now I'm happy to get to say that I am as well, so Ben, thank you for your part in this, uh, buddy, uh, it was a real, real joy. Well, I appreciate it, Rick, and I, I appreciate Russ working with us on this, too. It's just a, it's an interesting project, and I, I can't wait for people to read the book. I agree completely, and I want to echo Ben's uh, sentiments about you, uh, Russ. Uh, there's, there's no substitute for having somebody in the process that, uh, first of all, has uh, seen as much basketball as you have over the wider period of history than Ben and I have, and as well as a true veteran of the genre, the 10th book. We can't say this often enough, the 10th book for Russ Cohen. And uh, I, I am honored that this one gets to fit that bill for you because uh, it's been an amazing project to work on with you guys. Yeah, thanks. I, I, I feel the same way. And you guys are just, you know, basically saying in a nice way that I'm old. But that's okay. <laughs> At least as someone who's older, you, you found a use for me. So that's good. Well, that, uh, yes, I, I, I'm always good at finding uh, pleasant euphemisms here in life. And uh, again, uh, had to find some for some of the players on the uh, the list here as well, because uh, there, were, there were some of them where, you know, quite frankly, with Rick Barry, whether it was kind of the Ty Cobb factor as well as how, how his teammates looked at him, you know, I mean, you know, there were some things in here where we, we had to address some rough edges with some of the players. Hey, I met Rick Barry. I met him as a little kid. I you know, I, I loved him that day. Did he kick a basketball at you or anything, or was he nice? No, oh. he was on the nets. Okay. He, um, no, I, I very much enjoyed Rick Barry. <laughs> I never had a problem with Okay. Him. Love that uh, free throw shot. I used to, I'm not going to oh. lie, I used to imitate that in the backyard. I think a lot of us Me did. <laughs> but uh, so many unique elements of the players on this list, and uh, the players who made this list can forever say that they are one of the top 75 players in pro basketball history, according to Rick Morris, Ben Chu, Russ Cohen. Guys, thank you so much for being a part of this show here, talking about the book. And uh, everybody, again, as we indicated, this will be available just prior to Christmas here on Kindle. So you have that to look forward to. Large soft cover coming your way not long thereafter. Thank you, everybody, for being a part of the audience here for mini-episode 1416 of the FDH Lounge.